Now we're going to take time to hear the word of our father, Psalm 42 and 43, Psalm 42, which originally was probably one psalm. Uh, For those of you who are not so familiar with the Bible, take out that Bible that's in the pew in front of you. It's the hardback one. And if you can't find the psalms, it's right in the middle or it's page 666. Not a great number, but great psalms. I, I I just want you to know. Uh, as you're turning there, let, let me say, have you been following the news of escalating violence um, throughout our world this morning uh, with Russia and Georgia, two former states of the Soviet Union, escalating violence there? It's, it's quite uh, dangerous. Uh, in the Olympic Games, though I love to watch them, uh, still there are so many difficulties there. And the one episode of homicide that affected our U.S. family of our U.S. volleyball team here in our own community, if you saw the front page today, uh, after a relative period of peace in our community, uh, three more episodes of violence that have, that have hit us here. Uh, the Bible tells us we're to uphold in prayer those who have been placed in authority, that God has placed them there to bring about good and to use the authority they have for justice and mercy and not for self-gain. So perhaps before we read the word, let's join together in prayer for what is happening in our world. Father, our worship team has told us to lift up our prayers to you in the midst of times of trouble and difficulty. And as we look around our world, we see that Uh, your word tells us that the Lord Jesus is the prince of peace. And so when we look, we see that that is what is needed. We know that this world needs Jesus. And yet even where there are people or nations that turn away from you and from the message of the gospel, We pray for those that you have appointed, as your word says, into places of authority, that you would give them wisdom, that they may use their authority not for self-gain or to do damage to others, but to bring about justice and mercy and peace. Father, we pray that with this uh, violence happening in Russia and Georgia, we pray that for uh, those who are in authority, those who are officers and policemen and, and so forth in In China during these days where the whole world's attention is turned there and where often those who are evil want to uh, gain a name for themselves, we pray, Father, that you would direct and bring about your peace. And for our own community, Father, we pray for our mayor and our city officials and those who have been placed in positions of of police and authority, that you would help them, uh, direct them, uh, give them wisdom during these days. And for us As we live in this community, may we be instruments of your peace that people may be drawn to the Lord Jesus in these in these days. This we commit to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Psalm 42 and 43, uh, let us stand because we're going to be hearing the word of our father. Such interesting uh, passage of God's word for the director of music. The superscription says it calls it a mascal. You see that? A mascal of the sons of Korah. There are three stanzas. Each has the same refrain. Stanza one, verse one. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Uh, Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the, with the multitude 
leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Stanza 2. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Refrain. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My Savior and my God. Stanza three. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. And I will praise you with the harp. O God, my God, why are you downcast? O my soul, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. And this is. The word of God. Thanks be to God. I think I'm always going to be calling this sermon uh, the message that the people of the Lake Avenue Church would not let their pastor skip. Do you know, back uh, when an earlier volume of Seasons magazine came out, I put a list of the messages that we'd be doing in the Songs of Experience this summer. And in July, I was going to be speaking about depression from Psalm 42 and 43. I wondered if anybody ever read what I wrote. But if you remember, I didn't preach that message. And then after I didn't, I had so many people come down and say, why didn't you preach that message about depression? That's what I came to church for today. It's what we brought friends here. And I got notes and I received emails. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. What do you think? I think the more we know one another, we're not surprised by that sort of thing. Um, But I'm not surprised because, well, partly I love to read biographies. And as I've thought about the biographies of people that have had such an impact in our world, it has always been amazing to me that so many of the men and women who have had the greatest impact in our world have been people who have gone through times of deep, deep depression. Did you know that? In fact, I went on to the website of the U.S. Uh, Federal Drug Administration and found there that there was an article by a woman named Leora Nordenberg. You might want to look at it called Dealing with the Depths 
of depression. And she wrote, wrote an article. This is, I'll, I'll read you a part of it. She said, imagine being invited to a dinner party uh, where these people were on the guest list. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Robert Schumann, composer, Ludwig von Beethoven, Edgar Allan Poe, Mark Twain, and Vincent van Gogh. You wonder to yourself why these people are here. After all, this is a fundraiser to help people suffering from depression. You think, well, maybe they all have someone in their families. Maybe they have a friend who suffers from depression. But the time arrives during the dinner for speeches by these special guests. And you are shocked as one by one, each of these famous people describes their own battle with depression. And she writes, Lincoln even quotes from a letter he once wrote to a friend. And here she quotes a quite well-known letter that Abraham Lincoln wrote to a close, close friend as he went through one of his many times of depression. I put it up here just so you can see it. He wrote to the friend, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would be not one cheerful face left on earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me. Abraham Lincoln, president of these United States. I, I should have known that you can't skip a topic when people wrestle with this, should I? I also should have known because, you know, the last 12 years, as I had the opportunity to be a president of a college, I, I soon began to recognize that many of our most capable, effective leaders among the college population were young people who went through terrible, terrible times of depression. So I would take times during chapels occasionally to address this issue, though I always feel incapable to do so, because there are no easier pat or quick answers, and I hope you know that this morning as you gathered. But I spoke about it in one chapel, and then afterwards I received a letter from a young woman who was a part of one of our support groups for those who have eating disorders. You know, so often those who go through that, uh, and, and there's so many, are struggling with depression, what happens is life seems to be out of control and people try to find one area of life that they might be able to control and eating might be one of those. And so as I spoke about this, I received a letter from one of our main uh, school leaders and this is what she wrote me. Uh, President Waybright, she wrote, I put it here so you could see it. Thank you for talking about depression this week in chapel. I know there are no easy solutions or pat answers to what some of us find to be a lifelong battle. But it was good to be reminded that God still loves those of us who go through times of depression. Even more, I needed to hear that he uses those who fight depression to do his work in the lives of others. I wanted to cite that note because... Uh, to give us some realistic expectations. Do you see? She says, thank you for that. You gave us the solution so I'll never have a problem again. Do you see she didn't write that? She said, what, what happened today is, as in chapel was, one, I was reminded that God loves me, even though at that time probably she didn't love herself, uh, that God loves her. Number two, that he wasn't finished with her yet. 
that God still has a role for us to play even after those times are over where we've walked through those times of depression. And I think if those two things can happen as we gather and look at God's word, it will have been worth us coming to church to go from this place knowing and experiencing the love of God. Number two, going, knowing that God still has a role that he would have us to play in spite of the fact that we're still wrestling with things in our current lives. Now, as I talk about this subject, I know that depression sometimes is caused by sin and guilt in our personal lives. I talked about that in Psalm 51. Do you remember? And when that's the cause, we need repentance and forgiveness. I also believe, at least I believe, that sometimes depression can be caused by evil in our world. And at those times we need prayer and deliverance. But sometimes, very often, uh, depression is caused by what I just call life. What do you think of that? Just life uh, just seems to be out of control. The stress is there. And some of us have simply been born into families where we seem to be more prone or genetically. We seem to be disposed toward that. And that happens to Christians and non-Christians alike. And that's what I want to talk about because that seems to be what's happening in Psalm 42 and 43. As we look at it, we know this is a man who loves God. And this is a man who has walked with God. He's experienced Uh, The presence of God in his life. But in spite of that, he seems to have these waves of times of depression that keep coming over him. That feel like waves, like, like, like a flood that just keeps coming. Now, do you have your Bible in front of you? I want us to have a bit of an overview. We can only look briefly because of the brief time that we have this morning. Um, Page 666. Got it in front of you? You see there's a superscription. Uh, superscriptions were probably added later as the psalm book was put together, and yet they're helpful to us. Do you see that this one was sent to the director of music or to the choir master? So what that indicates is that this was supposed to have been a song. Isn't that interesting? This was to, to have been a song. And as so many of the Hebrew songs, that meant that it was to express something in our heart. Uh, see, the Bible isn't just prose, nor is it simply reports of what happened, that we have songs and poems there. Why? And the reason is God's made us in his image so that we're not just physical beings, nor are we simply intellectual beings. We're not just minds. But a part of us is what is a part of God. And we're emotional beings. So God gives us passages like this in the world to speak to the emotional part of our lives. First thing I want you to see is a song. Second, do you notice that little word? It's called a mascal. Uh, nobody knows exactly what that is. It's a noun, a mascal, uh, probably a, a musical term of some sort. But it, it's drawn from a Hebrew verb that means to instruct or to make wise. And so as, I, as I've thought about it, so this is a song that is also has an intention of teaching us how we are to live in, in times to make us wise. So when you put it together, uh, it is a song that is written So that you and I will know how to live. It is a song that is written when we go through these emotional times where we're not quite sure what we should do. And we want to be wise, godly people. And so God gives us a song of somebody who's walked through one of those times to teach us how to live. So it's a song. It's meant for our hearts, but it's a masculine. It's meant for our minds. And John Piper, in one of his messages about the Psalms, would say that when we really immerse ourselves in passages like this, we begin to learn to think and feel with God. I've thought about it a little differently. I think 
that really is given to us so that as we take time, gather and look at this, God teaches us how he would have us to think and to feel in times like this. And I pray that that might happen a little bit today. Now, as I, in, the, in the reading of it, did you notice in this song, just like so many of our songs, there are three clear stanzas. Each one has the same refrain. Why are you discouraged? Why, why are you downcast? I'm a believer. You can almost hear him saying it. Why am I discouraged? But I am. Now, what I've got to do is apply what I believe to my life. Put your hope in God. Now, each one of these stanzas, each one of the three, the first one is verses 1 through 5, the second one is verses 6 through 11, and the last one is chapter 43, verses 1 through 5. Each one of them has exactly the same poetic structure. English teachers, if you can write out the meter, I don't know if this bores some of you, but it's exactly the same. But this is an interesting thing, except for one. The second stanza, verses 6 through 11, has one verse that's just stuck in there. It's added. It breaks the meter, it breaks the pattern, and it's the heart, it's the very center of the entire psalm. And I've called it the heart of the song. And it really helps us to make sense out of why this time of depression was not a time of despair. So look at it very carefully, even as we begin. Chapter 42, verse 8, is the heart of the entire poem. You see what it says? By day, the Lord directs his love. In other words, in the good time, we know that God loves us, right? But there are times that feel like night too. At night, well, his, his song is with me. God is still there. It's sometimes hard to feel it, but I believe it. So I'm going to bring a prayer to the God of my life, for I know the time will come when I will praise him again. So there's the heart. It's thinking about who God is. And knowing that this loving God is always present and sufficient for anything that we face if we will continue to wait upon him and trust him. Now, let's walk through just briefly each of the stanzas. Each one tells us a little bit different reasons why this particular man was depressed. Stanza one, chapter 42, verses one through five. He talks about a depression that seems to be due mostly to what I've called a perceived distance from God. And from his people. He felt that God was a long way away. There's a big difference between feeling that God is away and God actually being away. But he felt that way. Uh, probably this was written one of the times when the Jewish people were in exile. And almost certainly, and you see that in verse 6, he, he's, he's in the land of Jordan. He's always among enemies when you look at verse 43. So probably they couldn't get back to Jerusalem. What, the way I envision this is this. This, this was a, a, a leader of the people of God who had always worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem. He had always gone through tough, tough times with his own personal inner life. He'd become depressed. But what he did, what he would do is he would show up at the house of God and worship together with God's people. Similar to what you're doing this morning. It became a part of his life. And even though I'm sure sometimes he didn't feel like going there, when he came in and he worshipped among God's people, he began singing the songs, he began hearing the word, he knew God was there, and this was one of the greatest sources of help for him. Worshipping God in that temple, worshipping among God's people. But now he couldn't get there. And another one of these waves of depression was coming over him. And God seemed to be so far away. How am I going to get to God if I can't get into the house of God, he thought. And so he says in the imagery, here's how I feel. As a deer pants 
not just for a little bit of dew on the bottom of a leaf, but for streams of water in the midst of a desert. God, my soul is right now panting for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This is such strong, powerful imagery for anybody who lives in a desert. Uh, It was always hard for me to talk about this sort of thing when I lived in a place like Chicago, where there was almost more snow and water than you even wanted to talk about how beautiful this is. But I think we can understand this better. I'll tell you, this wasn't uh, January, February in Southern California where the rains are falling. This was August. And they're telling, don't don't sprinkle your lawns anymore. And in fact, they couldn't find any streams of water whatsoever. And so above anything else he could have longed for, it would have been this refreshing stream of water as a deer who is running through and panting and longing for something, longs more than anything else for water. So that this psalmist at this point in his life just somehow longed to know that God was there. Now, verse 4 is so interesting to me because this was not simply a person who showed up at worship, but it's obvious he was a leader. These things are what I remember as I pour out my soul. I remember how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. Boy, as we would go with shouts of joy and thanksgiving, we were there among the festive throng. See, this is so interesting for me. Bernard, thank you so much for stepping in and leading with Jeremy Sick. But th- this is where I get to apply it to your life, maybe to mine as well. So many times you need to know this. We, we come to church and some of us have been given the privilege of, of leading worship. But sometimes when we lead worship, what happens is God breaks in. And we realize that we need to be worshipers ourselves. And that's what I think he had experienced. He had always been one who led worship. But really, in the, in the midst of this time, he re- realized that, that it wasn't just him leading other people into the presence of God and to sing songs of joy. He himself was rejoicing and singing praise to God, even as he was leading others. I've experienced it so many times. I'll just let you in on this. You know, uh, I often practice my sermon before coming into the, uh, the worship service. And I often try to envision who is there. I try to think, now where are the real sinners who are out here? Um, where are the ones who really need to hear? Of course, I know it's all of us. But it's so interesting. Sometimes even if I'm alone, uh, even in this place at times, and just preaching through the sermon, it's as if God breaks right in. And he says, this message is not for them. I have something to say to you. And I just have to fall on my knees right here and say, Father, I need to listen and I want to respond. And that's what had happened to this psalmist. I tell you, it's what in in the midst of him leading worship, he had heard the voice of God and it had been a time of great encouragement to him in times of depression. And for all of us here, not just for those of us, uh, John, Bernard and others who lead worship for all of us. This is why my longing for Lake Avenue Church is that our main focus won't just simply be a place where we come and punch the clock because religious people should show up at church. Nor will it be a place where you go out and say, that was very entertaining, though I hope it won't be boring. My prayer is this, that when you and I gather here, we will meet God. That you'll come with a longing and a thirst to meet him. That will make it easy for me to preach. And that I'll be faithful to open this word so that you will hear his voice And meet him in this place, and not just you alone, but together with all of God's people. 
so that in meeting with him and praising him and you'll be able to leave this place and go back into the workplace and into your families and into the community knowing that God is sufficient for anything. That just as this man had found this to be his help in time of discouragement, that you'll find this place to be the same. So a place of truly meeting God. And that's what he missed. He was no longer there. He couldn't get back to his place of worship. And he felt that God was far away. So the refrain comes in. All right. I can't get back, if you were living today, to the Lake Avenue Church today. I'm a long way away. But why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why, don't you know that God isn't confined to a building? As I so often say, when we leave this place, we don't leave the presence of God. Amen? Wherever we are, God is there. And he needed to be able to remember that I'm going to put my trust in a God who is present wherever I am. And know that the time is going to come when I'll praise him again. End of stanza one. Stanza two. I'd better be a little briefer with stanza two, hadn't I? It's depression that seems to be due to a deep inner disturbance. Now he begins talking about his inner life just seeming to be so out of order. The imagery changes. Yes, he begins. I know I shouldn't be downcast, but I am. See that in verse 6? Because I'm so far away. But let me tell you how I feel and why I feel it. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep. Powerful language, isn't it? Um, It's drawn from Genesis chapter 1. Where uh, in the beginning, uh, the earth was... Chaotic. It was without form. It was void. And then God spoke and he brought order out of disorder. And in fact, the Hebrew says, that's how I feel. Just to listen to it, it just feels like a rumbling and a beating inside of his being. To home, El to home. Don't you feel it? To home, El to home. That's what it feels like inside. My whole inner being is, is messed up. I think if he were to go to a counselor or if he were to come back to the prayer room and someone were to say, okay, uh, what's wrong? Do you know what I think he would say? Everything. <laughs> Everything is wrong. Nothing is in order. It's all uh, chaotic. Uh, made me think, there was a summer when I read all these John Steinbeck novels and there was one section, and I can't remember which one it was. I'm looking for an English major out here to help me out. Uh, I think it was East of Eden. And I think the character was Cal, whose life was all out of order. And he said something like this. I feel like there was so much chaos inside of me that God could create a whole new world. Because in Genesis chapter 1, it was out of chaos that God spoke. And, And this world came into being, a world that when God was done, that God said, it's good. It's it's very good. And that's what this man has. Deep cries to deep. Waves are coming over me. Uh, as, as people so often describe depression to me, it feels like a blanket has been pulled over my head. That's how he feels. Waves are, are coming over me. God, I, I need your help. And we have that verse 8 that is the core of it. But he begins to describe what it feels like in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I feel forgotten by God. Why, why do I have to mourn? I feel as if I've died. Uh, my bones, I feel sick, <laughs> suffer mortal agony as my fo- foes taunt me all day long and say, where is your God? Uh, I-, I read this and I thought, even though this was written millennia ago, 
Doesn't it sound like a 21st century Southern Californian could have written this? As I read even the stories about very, very successful people in the media and in sports and in so many places and hear about how the life is just so out of order and and a search for something that will make life meaningful again. I read this and I said, that's what he's expressing and all of us can understand it. And that brings us to the refrain. Brings us to the refrain. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed? Why? Because we, we know as our father, this God who spoke and brought a world into being that was good, that was very good. And so we know that if we will trust him and wait upon him, that this time that we're experiencing will not last forever. That the discouragement that is so great within us is not greater than the strength and the power and the recreating work of God. And that we know that a time will come if we'll trust him and wait upon him when that period will end and we will praise him and be used by him again. End of stanza two. Which brings us to stanza three. Uh, I've called it depression that is due to mistreatment by people. The relationships being broken. He was there in that foreign land and people seem to be so ungodly. Do you see he takes that up in verse one? Plead my cause against this ungodly nation, but not just rescue me from deceitful and wicked people. You are God. Why do I have to go about mourning oppressed all the time by the enemy? I think this third stanza is there because relationships are so important to us as people. Have you ever noticed that when many other parts of our lives are a little bit out of order, our finances or so forth are out of order, but if our relationships are good uh, in our marriage or our families, among our close friends, then life is still livable, right? Relationships, we have people to stand with us and we don't feel alone. On the other side, everything can be soaring, we can be famous and successful and investments are going well, but if our closest relationships are broken, then nothing seems right. Isn't that true? Because God's made us for a relationship. God has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And making us in His image, He has made us for a relationship. And when relationships aren't good, the whole world seems dark. And that's what He expresses in this third one. In fact, that image of darkness is the one that He takes up. Father, verse 3, send forth your light and truth. Let them guide me when I can't see where I'm headed. Let them bring me back to your holy mountain where I can meet with you, to the place where you dwell. And I'll go there. And I'm going to grab that harp and praise you, O God, my God. And so when relationships are completely out of order, leading us to this kind of discouragement, the refrain comes back, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disturbed? For there is one relationship that can never be broken. Paul would take it up in Romans 8. That nothing, nothing, we can understand this better than David. That those who are in Christ Jesus will know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's one unshakable relationship that should bring us back to church week by week. And that relationship is with God himself. Now, as we have looked at his description of his own life, brought me back into the 21st century. And I went on to the National Institute of Health website. And it has this this uh, description of what depression feels like from the many, many cases that they have wrestled with. And they call it a wilderness experience. I want to show this to you. 
it's like an acrostic. Do you see? Uh, wilderness, W. A sense of worthlessness, helplessness, sometimes inappropriate guilt. Just helpless to do anything about what has happened. Do you kind of feel that radiating through these psalms? The I, irritability. Just upset. God, why aren't you there? Why are you letting me mourn during this time? Irritable toward God. I'm sure irritable toward others. Wilderness. L. A loss of interest or pleasure in in ordinary activities. He surely could not be at peace where he was in the state that he was in. The D. Even death thoughts. Even suicide attempts implied in chapter 42, verse 9. Why, Why do I have to go about mourning? As if I were dead. And others in the Bible, like Jeremiah or Elijah, entertain very seriously these sorts of death thoughts in the midst of their own depression. Wilderness, E. Eating disturbances, such as loss of appetite and weight or weight gain. As I mentioned, areas of life are so out of control, people going through depression try to find some area where we can control. And often this is the one area that, that is tried, often to this self-destruction wilderness are a real difficulty in remembering concentrating making decisions deep is calling out to deep everything seems to be chaotic wilderness n non-treatable chronic aches and pains like he expresses in 42 verse 10 my bones my bones every one of them is hurting Every one of them feels like it's facing uh, this kind of mortal agony. E, therefore, energy is diminished. Not feeling like doing anything. Wilderness, S, sleep disturbances, such as insomnia, waking up early in the morning, but then in that very time when you need to be getting up, you can't get up. You just want to stay in bed. It feels like a wave has come over you. So that wilderness S, the last one, sadness, crying persistently, so that we see in chapter 42, verse 3, I can't get to streams of water, the only fluid that I see, my tears have been my food day and night. So I show this to you to, to let you know that even though this is 21st century description, this, this uh, man who wrote about his heart uh, was experiencing the same thing. And where he found hope, because these psalms are not psalms of despair, is in turning back to God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disturbed? God, you have given yourself to me. I will hope in you. Now, our message is nearly over, but let me stop for just a few moments and think about what this man did in this time of his depression. You see, it wasn't just a one-time thing. It's not, as, as so many people have told me, depression is not one battle, but many. We should, we should know that. But it seems like when we get into the, the, into the next one, it's worse than the one before. Whether it is or not, it's, it's hard for us often to determine. What does this one man do? I, I state it this way intentionally because I don't want to say, okay, here's a checklist. Do these five things, one, two, three, four, five, and poof, uh, you'll always be happy. <laughs> and you'll always skip down the aisle when you come to, I'm not saying that. Do you hear that? I want to remind you that very notable people that God used mightily in the Bible and throughout history have been people who had ongoing bouts with depression. People like Job and Elijah and David and Jeremiah. I want us to dispel this myth 
that, that Christians are always going to be people who are perpetually happy and skipping. That there are times, of course, when we experience the daytime and the, the, the sunshine and the joy of God and the presence of God in a very real way. But there are times where it feels like the night as well. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we don't walk alone. So what do we do? So I'm going to show you what one person did. Just several statements. Number one, this one man owned the problem. And he sought to do what I've been trying to do in many of our uh, messages through this series. He sought to describe it accurately. He knew that simply writing a letter about it may not be enough, but he sought to put it into a poem. Those who are more artistically inclined, you might want to try to do that. Or those who like to paint pictures might want to try to paint a picture of what it feels like when you're in the midst of depression. Uh, he journaled about it. He, he put it down. He took this emotional time, put it into verse and song. And what happens is where we start writing or trying to express it, it helps us to identify what the problem is and often helps us to find our path into the future. I've also found that when we keep a journal or a record or seek to describe what we're feeling, we can come back to it in a later day when we're going through this wave of depression again. And remember that we experienced that before and we're still here. And God was sufficient then, therefore he will be this time. Do you see that? It's the first thing he did. And I would encourage us to do that. And this morning we have in the worship folder this, this four by six sheet of paper that might help us to begin. Second, he not only owned and expressed the problem, he in the midst of it, he let himself cry. So he didn't try to bottle it up. He didn't try to deny it. Well, of course, I'm a Christian. I don't feel this. He didn't try to escape it uh, by running to alcohol or any kind of self-destruction. As the uh, wisdom writer will put it in another place in the Bible, there is a time for mourning and weeping. And this one was it. Uh, We might as well be honest with God and allow those emotions to come out and be expressed. So he owned the problem and tried to express it. Two, he didn't try to bottle up the emotions. He allowed himself the room uh, to mourn and to cry. Three, then, he engaged in what I call an intentional act of remembering. This is something we talk about too little. The Bible is filled with it. Uh, The biblical word zakar, to remember uh, in the desert time, the times aren't always like this. To remember when God is far away that there are times in our lives when God has felt very, very near. That's what he did. He remembered better days. Do you see it throughout this poem? He remembered times in which God's presence was so real. He remembered those times of worshiping together with God. He longed for those in the times again. And he knew that God was at the heart of it. So it was really a longing for God himself. But what happened was, as he remembered, he knew deep down in his being that this time of depression would not last forever. It didn't last forever that last time. I remember that. And it gave him the hope that this one won't last forever this time either. Does that make sense to you? It's almost a sacred act of remembering those times of worship, remembering those times of God's presence, which help us walk into the future. Four. Not only did he own the problem, allow himself to cry in the midst of it, 
engage in this intentional act of remembering other times in which God was sufficient. Fourth, he would not give up when his depression was the darkest. Uh, I, I've thought about the many people who have told me about their times of depression. I told you some say it feels like a blanket's been pulled over their head. Others say the world becomes so small so that there's this conflict. On one side, they want to be with people like he did. On the other side, they don't want anything to do with people. They always feel like this time is far worse. I'll never make it through this time. But in the midst of those times, we need to remember that God is sufficient and not give up in the moment that this time will also pass. Even though at the moment, we may not feel that it will. And that as we wait... We often discover that God is there. So when the depression was the darkest, he did not give up, but waited for the light to break in. Uh, I would encourage any of you who are going through times like this to do the same. Don't give up in the midst of dark times, for the day will be coming. And fifth, he did turn directly to God for help. This man is a believer. So my message for you today is for those of us who have a real relationship with God. I know you know that people can go to church and not have a personal and real and genuine walk with God. I I never take it for granted that simply because we're here that all of us have a, a genuine knowledge and relationship with God. But it is available to us all. If we will seek God, he will allow himself to be found. And when we trust the Lord Jesus What he does, among so many other things, is that he brings us into a real relationship with God. A relationship that cannot be denied. Because it is real. And this is the thing that I want to offer to us more than anything else. That what Jesus has said is the thing that keeps God distant from us is our sin. But Jesus went to the cross to deal with that. So that all who trust Christ as Savior will find that sin taken away. And we are brought into the family of God. Knowing God is our Father. And I'll just tell you, if you have never experienced that, I pray that this will be the day that your relationship with God has its true beginning. Because Christianity is not simply some religion where we do rituals. It is the opportunity to know the maker of the universe as your Father. And those of you who do, remember the times that you have walked with Him in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And you will find that he is still there and sufficient for all that you face. Let me bring you back to that heart of this beautiful, beautiful song. Chapter 42, verse 8. All of this song points back to this verse. This is something I pray that you will know. By day in the good times, the Lord directs his love. Have you ever experienced that? Can you remember that first time that you brought your sins to God and he says, I'll take them because I love you. It's while you were a sinner that Christ died for you. I know what you're like. I love you. In the good times, God directs his love. But not only then, at night, his song is with me. What is Jesus called? Emmanuel. God is with us. So in the midst of the day or of the night, we need to enter into prayer to God and bring our whole lives to him. 
and find that, as the psalmist says, we will yet praise him, for he is our Savior, and he is our God. May you know that to be true, to his glory. Amen. I'm going to ask our music team to come forward. We don't have time really to do this, but perhaps you can at least begin. I've been encouraging you to write songs or words to God throughout this series. Here we've even given you a guide. It's not enough, but you have a blank space on the back, too. Uh, Perhaps this will help you. I will praise you, O God, for you are. What is God to you? This morning, is there something that you've learned about God that you want to express? And then, loving is the Lord and worthy of praise. Forgiving is the Lord and worthy of praise. Gracious is the Lord. Powerful, sufficient is the Lord. Whatever you may want to put that. So that in the midst of my heartaches and trials, I may feel, what do you feel? But I know, O Lord, that you are. As as the uh, music team is singing and playing for us, take some time to begin this before the Lord and see what he might say to and through you.